morning, church. It's great to be here, and again, good to see all of you here this morning. Our junior church young people, you can go ahead and be dismissed and head up to your class. I want to thank everyone for the messages and prayers and cards for these last probably 10 days or so that I've been sick. I want to thank Covey for filling in for me uh, last week for Sunday school and Ron for preaching for me. I appreciate that very much. And uh, if you want to ask me about all of my fun the last two weeks, you can. I'm glad I'm finally on antibiotics, feeling a little better. My throat's weak. Bear with me. Uh, but um, again, we're going on in our series of sermons in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at the Church of Tolerance this morning. And our text is found in Revelation chapter 2, 18 through 29. <clears throat> Revelation 2, 18 through 29. So if you want to turn there and, and hold that, uh, we'll get to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chameleons, <clears throat> reptiles that can change colors and blend into their environment. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever had little lizards and they've, you've seen them change. I remember I was down in Florida with my cousin Doug when I was young. <clears throat> A little lizard was there on the sidewalk and took off running and he took off after it, and I went after it, and we're looking, and man, we couldn't find this thing. It jumped over into these bushes and was hanging out, and here it changed colors. And he goes, yeah, that's a chameleon. You know, they, they're able to change to their environment. You know, many animals have the ability to blend in. If anybody's a deer hunter, <clears throat> a lot of times they can blend into their environment. Various birds can blend in, snakes even insects, you know, but people tend to be like chameleons also. They can change their colors and their spots to blend into their culture or to their surroundings or the people that they are around. You know, walking down the street is difficult to identify a true believer in Jesus Christ with even an unbeliever. You, you may walk around and be like, I don't know if that person's a Christian or not. Or you may be able to look at a person and say, you know, that person's a real heathen. Uh, you know, look at the things that they're doing and how they're acting and how they are. So some can be identified, but a lot of times you, you can't tell unless you actually get into a conversation with somebody and start asking questions. Even in smaller groups, it's difficult. And many so-called Christians... They're just failing to shine their light for Jesus. They will participate in nearly every activity of the non-Christian world without even a blink of the eye. They use the world's vocabulary regularly, swearing and taking the Lord's name in vain. They socially drink their alcohol at business dinner functions and parties around the New Year's and Christmas and Fourth of July and whatnot. You know, many have become like Peter, who avoided being identified with Jesus, even to the point of denial and swearing. I don't know him. I don't know him. You see, it was because of that crowd that he was around out there. If he would have been with the apostles, he would have been bold and strong and said, no, that's Jesus. 
my Lord, my God, my Savior. But when he was around the heathens, he was denying Jesus. Maybe it's the idea of, you know, us standing out like a bright light that scares us or scares other people. You know, maybe being different than our friends, our co-workers, it scares us or them. But if you are a Christian, we should be different from the people in the world. And if we're not, something is wrong. This is exactly what was happening to the church at Thyatira. When Jesus wrote there in Revelations 2, 18 through 29, our text. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard translation. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church... And Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, <clears throat> that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds." And I will kill her children with plague. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end. I will give him authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are scattered. As I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the city of Thyatira. It was about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. In the seven churches that are identified there in the book of Revelation, this church, Thyatira, is the smallest of all the cities that are identified. It was not well-respected place in Asia. It does not have an illustrious history and is scarcely mentioned by ancient historians. It was not known as a religious center as some of the other cities were. It was a military town or a garrison town. Soldiers often stayed there because of its strategic location. There were two uh, river valleys that met here. Plus there was a great highway and a road that went by. So 
<clears throat> this was a place of, of commerce and trading and a place where business took place. Ancient uh, Thyatira, they worshipped a warlike god armed with a battle axe riding on a uh, big charger, a big giant uh, horse. Thyatira was, again, <clears throat> best known for being a commercial city. They were known for wool, for purple wool. Remember Paul in the book of Acts in the 16th chapter when he met Lydia. She was from this place, Thyatira, and she worked with wool and dyed them purple, which was a very expensive product. Um, again, the city was on a major road, and in this city of Thyatira, there were many trade guilds, many trade unions that were found here. And uh, there were a lot of different things that they did. There were weavers. There were dyers of wools like Lydia. There were other wool workers that made these garments and this wool into clothes and the garments. There were leather workers and people that worked with leather and made tents and so forth. There were bronze smiths and other metal crafters that are here. Every citizen who worked in Thyatira belonged to one or even maybe more of these trade unions. And to belong in one of these unions or guilds, you were required to sacrifice to their gods. You see the problem for the Christians who lived at Thyatira? If they didn't go and go and sacrifice to these gods, if they didn't go and have this sexual immorality in these temples, if they didn't get this certificate, they weren't going to be able to buy or sell or trade within the cities. This was going to be a terrible thing for the Christian. So Jezebel, she was able to do her teaching and whatever that she did and whatever authority that she had. And she's like, it's okay. You can go ahead and burn sacrifices to these, these gods. You can go ahead and eat the meat sacrifice to them. You can go ahead and go and have these fornications and whatnot. It's all right. It's okay. You see, it wasn't okay. It wasn't good. And we see that as we go through this, Jesus is going to be condemning Jezebel, her practices, and those who were involved in this. Out of all the letters to the seven churches, this letter this postcard that is being sent out by John for, from Jesus is the largest. More is said here to this little town and to this church than to any of the others. Jesus appropriately identifies himself here. Verse 2, <clears throat> verse 18, the second part of that says, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, Son of God, Jesus is finally going and saying who he is. I'm deity. I'm God. This is the first and the only time that this title, this term, Son of God, is used in the book of Revelation. And it, again, it stresses Jesus' deity. It says that he has eyes like a flame of fire. If you flip back to the first chapter, if you remember there when we were coming down through there in verse 14, it says, and his head and his hair were 
white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it was, has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Daniel had a vision of this same man in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. Almost the exact wording of what it says there in Revelations 1. <clears throat> and also these same terms here in uh, Revelation, the second chapter. You see, these eyes of like flaming fire, these are eyes that are all seeing. They're all knowing. It's kind of like Superman. I could take my shirt and that off. You'll see my big ass. <clears throat> what did Superman, what was he able to do? He was able to look and he'd look right into the train car through the metal and he'd see what they were doing. He'd fly down there. He was able to look into the buildings. He was able to see things. You see, he had x-ray vision. Jesus has x-ray vision. I know your deeds, he says. I know what you're doing. I can see the things you're trying to hide. I see the things that you're doing out in the open. Because I have these eyes of flaming fire that are like torches that are burning. They go right into your heart and right into your mind. And he knows what's going on. Nothing is hidden from the sight of Jesus. He sees all, knows all, everything. His eyes see the immorality and the idolatry being taught and practiced here in his church in Thyatira. He has feet like burnished bronze. Again, bronze or brass is a symbolic of judgment and power. And Jesus is saying here, I have the power to stomp this church into oblivion if you don't repent, if you don't do what is right. In mythology, Hephaestus, the bronze god, entrapped his wife, Aphrodite, in an affair with Ares in a bronze net. Put this bronze net around her and captured her. These people in the town would have known of this, uh, these teachings, uh, these Greek gods and mythology and so forth. And he's saying, I got feet like bronze and I'll come in there and I'll stomp you. <clears throat> you see, Jesus could see all that the Christian church in Thyatira was doing. And he would punish them if they didn't repent. Once again, this, in this context of this lesson, there are tremendous uh, things that we can learn. You know, what kind of church are we? One that stands firm for the Lord no matter what? Or one that crumbles under the pressure of the world? What about you as a Christian? First off, Jesus' letter to Thyatira teaches us to have correct conduct. Verse 19 says, I know your deeds. He says that's with all seven of the churches. He says, I know your deeds, I know your works, I know your actions, I know what you're doing. He says, in your love, and your faith, and your service, and your perseverance, and your deeds of late are greater than at first. Look at the things here that he commends them with and tells them they're doing good. He says, your deeds, your work, evidently they were doing good things. 
some of these people in the church here were, were not bad. Evidently, they weren't doing these things that Jezebel was teaching them to do. The church was growing in their spiritual qualities of work and love and service and faith and patience. They were probably very kind. They were willing to help others. Maybe they were sharing what food and clothing and things that they had because some weren't doing the things that they had to to get these certificates to work in these guild unions and uh, do the things that they wanted. And again, maybe they were converting the lost and teaching people uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified. They had love. They had an act of faith and love, reaching out in service. They were like practitioners like Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Look what the kind of love Paul tells the Corinthians that they needed to be. He says love is patient. Love's kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Man, that's a true description of a practitioner of love. Does this describe you? Love should be a mark of the church. Is it a mark of the church here at MCC? They had faith. It wasn't a dead faith. But it was alive. It was a faith that was growing. It was greater now than what it was at the beginning. The foundation of Christian life should be constant trust and dependence upon God and growing in our faith in Him. For an illustration of this, there's the story of the great Charles Blandon. He is a tightrope walker. And in the 30th of June of 1859, he was the first person to walk across Niagara Falls Gorge while 25,000 people watched on. He asked the crowd, how many think I can do this? And they were all cheering him on. Yeah, do it, you idiot. Go ahead. <clears throat> That's what I'd have been yelling anyway. <laughs> but uh, he's yelling and screaming. They're all telling him to do it. And then he said, who then will go over on my shoulders? There was silence in the group until one individual stepped forward, his manager, Harry Colcord, who he carried on his back across the gorge. Harry really had trust and faith, didn't he, in Charles to be able to do this. This is a, not a lie or fairy tale. This is true. You can go Google this later. Isn't that wild? But think of that faith that that man had in another man. What kind of faith do we have in God? Do we really trust him, believe in him? When he says, jump on my back, are we jumping on his back and going where he wants us to go and doing what he wants us to do? Do you trust him enough to go and do whatever he wants? And they had service. This is love in action. Love is more doing than just feeling. You know, we can have a feeling. It could be indigestion. Oh, 
excuse me. <clears throat> no, love's actions. If I'm going to say things and I'm going to do things, I can, you can see that love by my service and my actions and what I'm doing. And then it goes on here and says perseverance. That patience, endurance, them having the staying power, the resolve to be able to press on, sticking to something, sticking to their Christianity and not bowing and saying, oh boy, I better do these things if I want to be able to eat or sell or trade. What should you do? Katie's looking and grinning. Move! When they always show the people that are dying in the middle of the desert, they have no water and they have any food. I always yell at my TV, pack up and move. Go where there is food and water. Get out of there if they're making it. You, you do those things. Go somewhere else. You know, have that staying power to follow God and his word and his teachings and be the holy people we want you to be. And some of them were doing that and, and they were overcoming and there was growth. They were doing more than they did at first. But again, we need to ask the question, how would Jesus assess, assess us? Are we doing more than we first did when we first became a Christian? We should not be stagnant Christians, nor stagnant church. This would be contradicting the Lord's design for us. And I hope as we've been looking at these churches in Revelation that this series of sermons is causing us to examine ourselves and to examine the church and make sure that we're growing in our faith. These people had several things going for them. However, as Jesus has done before, he spots something that jeopardizes their existence. Point two, from Jesus' words we learn to avoid corruption. Verses 20 through 25, I'll read them again. But I have this against you. Hey, here's some good things, but now I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. I don't know if there was a woman there and her name was Jezebel. I doubt it. I think it was a nickname that he gives because of the Jezebel that's in the Old Testament. But she's calling herself a prophetess. She's a self-appointed prophetess. She's a self-appointed authority that's speaking. And she teaches and leads my bondservants. She's teaching and leading Christians in the church astray so that they'll commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idol. If you were here during our class uh, for Sunday school, Covey did a good job going back and looking there in Acts 15. The things that they were not supposed to do, the Gentiles... And one of them was eating things, sacrificed to idols, and also being involved in sexual immorality. Why were those things told? Because that's the things the churches were doing and being forced to do and told to do. Verse 21, I gave this woman time to repent. She didn't want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'll throw her on a bed of sickness. He's going to give her a bunch of venereal diseases and sicknesses. And again, those who want to commit these things with her, commit adultery with her, they're going to have great tribulation. They're going to get all these sicknesses too. Unless they repent of, of her deeds. And I'll kill her children with plague. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. 
I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firm, firmly until I come. The church in Thyatira did great things, but they compromised. They tolerated the corruption of the world around them. They were chameleons. When they're with the guild group, they're acting this way. When they're over at the church, they're acting this way. When they're with their family, they're acting this way. You see, they were chameleons. They were changing with their environment, their spots, and doing things that weren't right. They tolerated this woman Jezebel. First Corinthians tells us, carry out church discipline on those that are involved in sexual immorality. I wonder why there wasn't any elders or somebody there to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Stop it. Didn't stop it. Keep doing it. Go again with a couple more of the elders. Stop it. Or we're going to carry out discipline on you. Then if not, kick her out of the church. Shun her. Disband her. That's what the Bible says. Why? For love. So that she doesn't teach other people these types of things and cause them to be damned to go to hell and go to the second death. You know, we do it not because we're just angry, we're mean people. No, we're following God's law and His teachings. And people need to realize the severity and, and so forth of these things. She appears that she's a very dominating woman. She reminds us of the Old Testament Jezebel. She was the wife of King Ahab of Israel. She was a proponent and supporter of the God, little g, Baal, the fertility God, involved in acts of immorality and temple prostitution and other perversions. She spread this worship widely throughout the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. She supported 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who ate at her table, 1 Kings 18, 19. She tried to kill God's prophet Elijah after his victory on Mount Carmel when God sent down fire to consume his sacrifice. She did many other evil things. Remember what she did with Noab and his vineyard. She was just a wicked, godless woman. This background of the evil Jezebel back in the Old Testament is how this woman was. She was an evil, wicked woman, getting them to follow these false gods. Likewise, she taught that it was okay for Christians to indulge in sexual morality and idolatry and eating food sacrificed to idols. These activities, again, are linked to some of the other churches. You can go over and look at the church at Pergamum with Balaam, getting them to uh, go after those women of, of Moab and eating the things sacrificed to idols. And uh, Revelation 2, verse 14, we've already talked about. You see, but Christians are so stay away from these things. But if they don't repent, what's going to happen? As Christians are involved in prolonged, unconfessed sins, they're going to end up being on that sickbed. Maybe just spiritually that way. But again, if it's physical things that you're involved in too, then it could be physically. 
But definitely it can be spiritually. You need to repent of these things. Tribulations are going to come upon you. And again, due to the adulterous unions and guilds, Christians would have to conform to these sinful practices if they wanted to work and make money and live. And Jezebel was saying, it's okay. Go ahead and do it. Some of the members of the church at Thyatira had allowed themselves to be seduced by Jezebel. They believed they knew about uh, new things about the supernatural world, what others were not to know. Tertullian wrote about the Gnostics. If in good faith you ask them a question, they answer with a stern look and contracted brow. That's deep. Irenaeus says they say that they have come to the depths of the depth. Jezebel and her followers were probably arrogant, proud, considered themselves superior in knowing the deep things of Satan. Deep things or the depths of Satan here in Revelations 2, 24. Uh, maybe the secret things known by those initiated into things uh, of the devil. Reading in Butler's commentary uh, about this information. He goes and says these people were involved in occult-type activities and uh, terrible satanic things. Those that were initiated and, and uh, it went beyond just <clears throat> sacrificing to false gods. They were sacrificing to demons and uh, doing terrible things and then eating those foods and then having these relations and that that were all part of this religion and that that they were a part of. And these things were going on in Asia Minor and uh, during the time of John and John's writing. And Jesus is saying, stop. Stop being involved in all of these things. Remember in the book of Acts where they came and burned all their occult books and magic books there at Ephesus. And again, these things were going on in that time. Now, it's doubtful that this group following Jezebel would blatantly be worshiping Satan in the Christian church at Thyatira. This group was boasting to others of how much more spiritual they were because they'd come to know and to understand all about these deep things of the occult world. They believed they could participate in idolatrous festivals and to them it would be evidence of their superior spiritual maturity. kind of like business is business. Those who separate their Christian life and their worldly life. You know, a lot of people were like, oh, I can separate being a Christian, but I can still go and do these things and it doesn't have anything to do with it out in the world. Huh? No way. Our whole life, everything that we do, we ought to be being Christians, letting our light shine, being the salt of the world, making a difference, trying to evangelize, not being chameleons, changing our spots and our colors and blending into our environment. You know, these people that separate these two, their Christianity and their worldly life or their business, they're refusing to take the faith of Christ into the workplace. 
They tolerate sin and sexual immorality, alternative lifestyles, fornication and homosexuality and abortion, which are clear violations of God's word. They won't take a stand on them. They won't speak up. There are many people living secret, unchecked lives, even in the church today. But remember, Jesus can see. He's got eyes like flaming fire. He's got x-ray vision. He can see in your heart and mind. He knows what's going on. Repentance is the only remedy of these problems. If there is no repentance, punishment will come on those followers of Jezebel. There are times when the church needs to carry out, again, church discipline and practice what 1 Corinthians 5 instructs the church to do. If so-called brothers... Lifestyles are out of line with God's word. If we don't correct and instruct so-called brothers when they are sinning, we'll lose our influence like Thyatira was going to lose. Thirdly, Jesus gives encouragement and compensation. 25 through 29 says, Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. And the one who overcomes... And to the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and the vessels of the potter are scattered as I also have received authority from my father. I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. We see encouragements given. Hold firmly until I come. Hang on. Keep fighting a good fight. Keep doing what is right. He's telling them to overcome the pressures of the world and not be the chameleons. Let people know you're a Christian. Let them know who you are. Compensation was going to come. They were going to be able to rule the nations. They were going to be able to reign with Christ. Even as we now as Christians are able to be seated in the heavenly places with him according to Ephesians 2, 6. And they would receive the morning star. The morning star is the first star that comes out in the morning. And again, it shows its preeminence. Uh, it's the first one. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus shows preeminence. He is the morning star. And we're going to look at that in our conclusion in Revelations 22. There are those today who deliberately reject the Lord's authority and his preeminence in all things and being the head of the church. And they need to repent of those things. You see, why do they do that? Out of the pursuit of other gods. You know, humans are going to live for something. Something is going to be their idol. Something is going to be their God. What's your God? Little G. Is it pleasure? What's your God? Is it wealth? What's your God? Is it power? What's your God? Is it fame? Or is your God the master and creator of the universe who's seated on high and his son is seated at his right hand with all power and honor and glory and authority in the workplace? The pressures to t tolerate, to compromise, may be present. You may feel, I got to be the chameleon, and so 
I don't want to offend anybody here. Well, are we offending God? Are we offending Jesus by our actions and who we are? We must hold up under the weights and pressures of the Jezebels in the world. Jesus knows MCC. Jesus knows those who are holding on to his word. Jesus knows those who are living by good moral standards and values of his word. Jesus knows those who are avoiding immorality and calling sin, sin. Jesus knows those who are not plotting to commit sin and have a corrupt lifestyle. Jesus knows those who are growing more like Jesus each day and following in his footsteps and being the best example that they can be out in society. In conclusion, we need to be overcomers. We need to overcome these types of things. Revelation 22, 12 through 17 says this, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to reward each one as his work deserves. I'm the Alpha and the Omega and the first and the last and the beginning and the end. And blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral people that we've been talking about here in Thyatira, the murderers and the idolaters sacrificing and worshiping these false gods, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things of the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is the bright morning star. And we can have that and be with him. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. Jesus is going to come someday with his reward. And maybe your reward is going to be for evil and bad things that you did or unrepentant sins. But maybe it's going to be a reward of eternal life and receiving the crown of life and have the right to drink of the waters of life and to be able to have eternal life with him in heaven. And those who have washed their robes, how do we get our robes washed? We get them washed in the watery grave of baptism. Where there we meet the blood of Jesus. An old man dies in that tomb of water. And we come up out of the watery grave to walk in the newness of life with white, new robes on, clothed with Christ. Those who don't do those things, they're going to be outside heaven. They're going to be outside the city, these sinners that are mentioned here. But Jesus is the bright morning star. And we need to be following him. Jesus came right now. Would you be ready? Would you be able to be ready to stand before him at judgment? If not, then why not do something about it now? If you're not a Christian and you have not done what the scriptures tell us and follow the terms of pardon that are given in the New Testament scriptures, why don't you do it now? The Bible tells us we need to believe. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And after believing in him, that he's the Messiah and that he's God's son, are you willing to confess that before men like the Ethiopian eunuch did to Philip in Acts the 8th chapter? And then after that, are you willing to repent? Repent of the world. Repent of those sinful activities maybe that you were involved in before this time that you're becoming a Christian? Are you willing now to turn to God and to turn to Jesus and do what is right? And are you willing to be immersed, to have your robes washed clean? And coming up out of the watery grave to walk in a newness of life, that's just a start. That's when you become a Christian. Then you need to live a faithful life until the end to be saved. As the men come forward, and as we stand and sing our hymn of invitation, if you are here and ready now to make this decision, won't you please come?